children through that program. They learn Bible verses. They learn Bible stories. They have a great time. And, you know, we only get our kids here at the church for just a couple of hours every week. The world gets them all the time. So we need the very best that we can. And Jennifer does a great job. Uh, also, there's a couple here this morning. Now, you may know that this past week was my and Julie's 16th wedding anniversary. In fact, our wedding was, yeah, you, you planned it. service in this room. We got married on Saturday and the first worship service was on Sunday in this room. So that, that's very special. But look, we got 16 years. But that's nothing compared to the couple that I want to honor this morning. They have been together. They have been married for 60 years. And it's Robert and Betty, Betty Phillips back there. I want y'all to stand this morning. <laughs>
to experience that. We believe in a personal Pentecost as well as the Pentecost that happened 2,000 years ago. We believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. The story of Pentecost, by the way, happens in Acts chapter 2. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you this morning because I have seven points I need to go through. And we've got to keep moving to get through in time. But I do want to say this. is Acts chapter 2. We believe in a personal Pentecost, the filling of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, by the way, taught about this. John the Baptist in his teaching said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. He was talking about Jesus. Greater than I am. So much greater. I'm not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Ephesians 5.18, the Apostle Paul taught, Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've never been drunk in my life, but I guarantee you it cannot compare to the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Can I, I don't know that, that we used to say kind of when we were in youth, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. I ain't, I've never been to parties and things like that, at least not like some people have, but I've never experienced any party better than when the Holy Spirit shows up. I've never experienced anything better in my life than the indwelling of God Almighty in my person, in my being, invading my space in such a good way. Nothing better than being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this morning I simply want to teach you how to experience Pentecost. It is not enough to have head knowledge of Pentecost. In fact, of all the events in the Bible, of all the things that can happen, this is probably the most experiential. Maybe this, along with our initial salvation, is the most experiential. I can teach you about it, and you can know all the doctrine about it, and it really won't do you any good until you experience it. Until it becomes part of you and you become part of it. So this morning, I don't want to just give you knowledge. If I just give you knowledge, I have failed this morning. I want to tell you how you can experience this thing that the early church experienced. And they stared down the Roman Empire in the face. And now Christians visit Rome. It was the most powerful, powerful nation in the world at that time. Now we visit Rome on sightseeing trips and the world is filled with the church. How did that happen? It happened because of the power, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you seven points this morning, and I always try to give credit where credit is due. There's a professor, Dr. Craig Keener, who is at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. And I heard him speak about Pentecost, and I'm actually taking his seven points, so these are not original to me, but when I heard these, I thought, that's what I want to share. So I want to give credit where credit is due, and Pastor Keener, Reverend Keener, you probably never want to watch this, Dr. Keener, but if you do, thank you for the points this morning. These are really good. Seven ways to experience Pentecost. Number one, the promise of Pentecost. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Real quickly, those places all have a significance in this story. Jerusalem was home base. Jerusalem was the holy city. Jerusalem was the place that those who believed in Moses and the law of Moses, those who were followers of him, they wanted to visit this place, the holy city, the city of peace. So Jerusalem was home base. Judea was the surrounding region. Almost like if you're in Randolph County, Ashburn may be home base, but the county might be where we live, the surrounding region. But then there was Samaria. Samaria was kind of the enemies of the Jews. They didn't like each other. The Samaritans were only part Jewish, and they worshipped a different way and in a different place than the Jews. And they did not get along, and they did not like each other. But Jesus was saying, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to go to people you might not necessarily like. You're going to go to people who might not necessarily look like you. You're going to go to people who might not necessarily vote like you. You're going to go to different people and you're going to love them and the Spirit is going to spread and the Gospel is going to spread through you to them. And so Samaria was those who might necessarily be considered enemies, but God makes them into friends. And then the ends of the earth. There's not one place in this world that God does not want to spread His Gospel. 
the good news about Jesus Christ. Every place, if there's a person there, God wants to spread the good news about Jesus to that place. So to the Jews, the Holy Spirit was the one who empowered the prophets in the Old Testament to speak the words of God to the people of God. That's what it's, when they thought of the Holy Spirit, that's probably the first thing they would think of. The Spirit empowered the prophets to speak the prophecy, the truth about what was coming for the Jews, to speak the truth to the people of God. And so what God is saying in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is the same Holy Spirit that empowered the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Micah, all these guys, the same Holy Spirit that empowered them is going to empower you to speak the good news about Jesus Christ. Just as they were bold and just as the truth about Jesus was always found in their mouth, the same thing is going to be true about you through the power of my Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you to speak is what God was saying there in those verses. So that was the promise of Pentecost. God, by the way, when you joined the team, when you became a Christian, when you surrendered to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, when you were baptized and you had your coming out morning to say, I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus, you were immediately put on a mission. You're not saved just to sit. You're not saved just to fill a pew. Although we love you to fill a pew, that's great. Because it means I get to teach you and I get to edify you and I get to build you up or whoever's speaking up here, living worship up here. I love that. That's great. But that's not the end game. You come in here on Sunday morning and say, we can give you new, I, I hate to use the term ammunition, but it is because we have an enemy named the devil. We give you new ammunition, ammunition to go out and fight the good fight of faith. You're not, if Sunday morning and Wednesday night are the end of your Christian experience, you've not gotten there yet. Those are just to send you out so new people can know about Jesus Christ. And you're called and you're commissioned. You are now part of the team. The greatest thing, when I was in high school, I bought a, a shirt that said God's team on it. It, it was Christian shirts can get kind of corny. I don't know if you guys know. But anyway, I bought that. One of my friends came up and said, God's team. I guess you guys don't lose too much, do you? I said, not really. And I had lost yet. We're part of God's team through Pentecost, through the power of the Spirit. So that was the promise of the Spirit. Number two, the preparation of Pentecost. You know, before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit came, there were problems in the church. They had one particular problem. His name was Judas. He had been a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, it even teaches us in the book of Acts that he was qualified to be a bishop within the church. But he turned his back on Jesus Christ. Instead, he betrayed him. Instead, he went another way. And so Judas had betrayed Jesus. Judas had killed himself, had committed suicide. And so there were already problems there. A lot of times people want to down the church because they see that the church is imperfect. Look, the church is always going to be imperfect because people are in the church. We're imperfect people. There's going to be imperfections in the church until we are glorified and until Jesus Christ returns and rules and reigns. There's going to be problems within the church. It's a human institution. The people who will not come to church because the church is imperfect, they'll go to everything else that's imperfect. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll visit different places. They'll be part of different organizations. All kinds of imperfection there. It's only the church that they hold to such a high standard that everything has to be 100% right 100% of the time for them to be part of. It's just a cop-out. It's just an excuse. But even before Pentecost, there was a problem. And so they had to replace Judas. They had to replace this guy who had messed up. They replaced him with a guy named Matthias. Matthias was the one chosen because... You may not realize the 12 disciples represent the 12 tribes of Israel. This was a new Israel. This was a new thing that God was doing. A new people of God. And so they couldn't have 11 to represent the 12. And so Judas was replaced. And that was preparation for Pentecost. But even more important in preparation for Pentecost, the church was praying together. Praying together. I'm not going to spend long because we just talked a few weeks ago about prayer and how to pray powerful prayers. And so I'm not going to camp out on this too long. But I just think it's such a shame that in the church, we don't really like to pray. 
We don't enjoy getting together and praying and interceding. And, and, and I'm so thankful those of you who have got to pray together, one, two, three, things that's going on, asking you to get together in groups of two or three and pray together once a week. I'm so thankful for those of you who are doing that. And you're going to find that's an amazing, powerful thing in your life. But I wish more of us would do that. I wish more of us at Sunday morning at 9 o'clock we have a time of prayer here. We meet right out here in the Welcome Center. We circle up and we pray. It only lasts about 15 minutes. But if you want to come and be part of that, you're invited to come and be part of that. But prayer needs to be part of your life. John Wesley said, God does nothing if it's not an answer to prayer. Everything he does is an answer to prayer. Prayer moves the heart of God. And so they were together and they were unified and they were praying that God's power would show up. I believe today God's power doesn't show up because his people don't pray. Amen, preacher. That was good. That was right. Every Thursday morning I meet for, with different pastors from around this town. We have a time of prayer. We don't all make it every week, but we try to. But we get together, and lately we have just been praying for revival in such a way we've been asking, what is it that's wrong in me? What is it that's wrong in my church? Where am I missing the boat? Where am I off the mark? What could be changed in me that might be hindering revival? Because we truly believe that there is a revival of, not evangel by the way, not evangelistic services. You'll drive down the road and you'll see on, on signs, revival here. We call that a revival, but really that's evangelistic services. Revival may or may not happen. Revival is when there's a sovereign touching down of God in a new way. You can't produce it. You can't manipulate it. You can't manufacture it. It's Him coming in such a way that you say, that was God, and there's no denying it. We haven't seen that in this area. We haven't seen that in this city. We haven't seen that in this county. I think I just saw a recent report in Randolph County, around 90,000 people don't darken the door of a church during the year. Got a lot of people we can reach. A lot of people we can reach, and a revival would do that. So we're praying that God would just do something amazing, something new here. But it doesn't happen because we don't pray. It doesn't happen because we don't come together and seek His face enough. Now I will tell you what, a lot of the great revivals in history have not happened because of pastors. They've happened because of those sitting in the pews got a heart for God and got a heart for prayer. Maybe God will put that burden on you. Wouldn't that be amazing? When we pray, every great revival in history was preceded by prayer, either corporate or personal, either together as a group or personal prayer. If we really want to see God move, we'll pray. Now, I will tell you, if we ever have a disaster in this country, if we ever befall uh, or some sort of terrible thing befalls us, all of a sudden we'll start to pray. Right now we're very comfortable, and as we're comfortable, prayer is not number one on our list. But let something like that happen, and all of a sudden we'll find that we need to rely on God. So that's the preparation for Pentecost. Number three is the proofs of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Wind and fire. That manifestation of the Holy Spirit never happens again in that way in the book of Acts. We never see wind and fire show up again. But something else happened that day that does show up again in the book of Acts. It says that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, they're already believers. They already knew Jesus. They'd already been following Him for three years. They were already believers, but they had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. But it says that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This miraculous gift of tongues two times other than this happens in the book of Acts. This is not the last time that this manifestation shows up. And this morning, I don't want to get into how much that happens today or how little that happens today or exactly what that looks like. That's not what I want to preach through this morning. I just want us to stop and reflect what an amazing sign that was. These believers were worshiping in other languages. It's almost as if God was saying to them, I need you to understand something. 
This movement of God is not just a movement for you Jews. It's not going to happen in just Hebrew. It's not going to happen in just Aramaic. This is a global movement. It's going all over the world. You guys realize, but you may, may not realize this, that the church is not growing in America. Certainly not growing in Europe. The places that the church is growing around the world are South America and Africa and Asia. That's the place where there's just wildfire. I just read, a, read a, an article about Iran. Iran is, is ancient Babylon. Iran or Persia. Uh, Iran is, all of a sudden, Christianity is taking root and it's growing in this place. Where they tried to keep it suppressed and they tried to keep it, keep it, keep it stamped out, Christianity is growing. It's not growing here, but around the world it is growing in these places. You need to understand that our family around the world, our Christian family, most of them don't look like you and me. Because this is a global movement. We think just because of our context, you know, that it is just a movement for people who look like us. But no, Asian believers, South American believers, African believers, that's where the church is growing. So our family, look, if you're uncomfortable with a family that doesn't look exactly like you, you need to get comfortable. That's what heaven's going to look like. You might as well get used to it now. You might as well get used to it The movement was a movement for the world. And my fourth point kind of goes right along with that. The peoples of Pentecost. And yes, I said that right. People groups. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 6 says, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. There were Jewish people from all nations gathered together to hear one message. They were there for Pentecost. And all of a sudden, miraculously, they heard the early church, they heard the 100 or about 120 in the upper room speaking in their own language. They were speaking in their language, but people were hearing it in their language. God was translating it in the air. Jewish people from all over. This is kind of a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Remember that in Genesis? They were coming together in the plain of Shinar. They were building this great tower. And I used to confuse me as a kid because it said they were trying to build a tower up to heaven. And I thought, well, I know from science that once you get up in the atmosphere, there's not enough oxygen, they're all going to die. That's not going to work. That's not what it's talking about. They actually built these things called ziggurats. Sounds kind of like a cigarette. But they built these things called ziggurats, which were a tiered temple. And at the top was a place of pagan worship that they called heaven. And so what they were doing, they were getting together to worship false gods. They were getting together to exalt mankind, exalt themselves. And if you remember what God did to stop that process, because they were getting so far down that road, they were not going to be able to come back. God confused their languages and they started to separate. They started to move away from one another. Pentecost is the reverse of that. That was people groups moving away from each other. Pentecost is people groups coming back together to worship the true God. That was worshiping the false god. This is coming together to worship the true God. And so God was bringing people from different areas, from different languages, from different nations to come back into one diverse family. Let me help you get this straight. We used to sing it when I was a kid. And it's still true. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. If you have a problem with that, take it up with God. God doesn't care about your skin color. He cares about what's in the heart. Amen. The Bible tells us that very clearly. And understand, I get it. I'm not, I'm not dumb. I'm not, I'm not under some misconception here. We have cultures around this world that are very different. We do things differently. We eat different foods. We listen to different musics. We musical things. We, we, we do things very differently in this world. And so I understand we have very different cultures within this world. And if you go to the Old Testament, it kind of breaks it down into basically three groups of people in time based on, on the sons of Noah. And it talks about one group is the Gentiles and one group is more of the African peoples and one group uh, that's more of the Jewish people. And so it breaks it down into three different groups. But in Pentecost, in the New Testament understanding, how many races are there in the world? One. 
the human race. All may come to Jesus Christ. All may be filled with His Spirit. All may become part of this new family that God is forming. There's only one race of people. That's the human race. And we can all be bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands. Our family is a diverse family. If you're going to experience Pentecost, you're going to have to find a way to become comfortable with that. I was talking with a church planner this week, and he was talking about they're going to plant a diverse church in southern Guilford County. And he said, on our worship team, and the church planner is an African-American gentleman who's part of our uh, part of our connection of churches. And he said, on our worship team, my wife is there, so we have a black person. And he said, we have an Asian person who is singing as part of our worship team. And we have an Hispanic person who is singing as part of our worship team. And we have a white person who is singing as part of our worship team. And they're all worshiping one God. And they're all saying, saved by the same blood. And they're all part of the same family. That's what Pentecost is about. Some of y'all get quiet. It's okay. It's okay. God will speak to you over this if you're having trouble with it. We're all part of one family. And so when we really begin to experience a personal Pentecost, we have to get good with that fact that God is calling all people to His throne, all people to be part of His family. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in His sight, and they're all bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's one more reason we're wearing red today. By the way, Katrina, can only tell you this. Aren't, aren't my shoes cute? My shoes are cute, right? Get good with it. It's going to be like that. Might as well get used to it now. Number five, the prophecy of Pentecost. The prophecy of Pentecost. Peter comes out and Peter preaches a sermon. The same Peter that denied Jesus. But in those 40 days that Jesus remained after he rose from the dead, he restores Peter back to his position as one of the disciples. And Jesus said on the confession of Peter, he was going to build his church. And so Peter comes out and he preaches. And he quotes the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. I've got a question for you, church. Do you believe we're living in the last days? Amen. Amen. I think we would all say we are living in the last days. In fact, the way the Bible describes it, from the resurrection of Jesus on, it's the last days. We've been living in the last days for 2,000 years, but I believe we're getting to the end of the end in our day and time. Job says in the last days, it's going to be a full team effort. A full team effort. Pastor Jason preached several months ago a great sermon about the church. And he, he talked about how he's watching the Carolina and Duke game. You guys remember that? And Carolina overcame Duke because Zion Williamson had a shoe boo boo or whatever that game. But anyway, but they were playing. He talked about how Carolina was playing as a team, whereas Duke had a couple of superstars, but they couldn't overcome the entire team effort because the team was playing together. Job says, and, Paul, and uh, Peter quotes him on this, in the last days, it's going to be a full team effort. Who's going to be on the team? Men, women, old folks, young folks. By the way, what a trick of Satan that he's done to divide us along those lines. Men against women, older folks against younger folks, that's not God's way. That's not what God wants. He wants us all on the same team, working together. I hate that sort of ideal that comes into the church where thing, different groups are pitted, pitted against different groups. Joel says full team effort in the last days. The Spirit's going to be poured out on all people and they will prophesy. So our team in this last day, in these last days, is going to consist of men 
who are ministering for God. It's going to consist of women who are ministering for God. It's going to consist of older folks who are ministering for God. It's going to consist of younger folks who are ministering for God. That's probably a problem in the American church. In a lot of churches, the only people who can minister for God are old men. Say amen or old me right there. That's the only ones that can minister. You're too young. You can't do anything for God. You're too female. You can't do anything for God. It's only old white-haired guys who can minister. And because of that, we don't have the full team effort that we need to fulfill the Pentecostal vision and to fulfill the prophecy of Pentecost. Y'all get quiet again. I must be stepping in the right puddle this morning. I think so. Full team effort. And to truly experience Pentecost, you've got to get good with working with the whole team. By the way, I love that we have a strong seniors program at this church. I love that we have a building. We used to call it the Fellowship Hall. Now we call it the Senior Life Center. We did that to try to honor our seniors, our seasoned citizens, to give them a place. And yes, we use it for food and, and, and to eat in there and stuff like that. But to give them a place that was their own. We had a youth room. We had this general area, but we wanted to give them a place that was set aside for ministry for them. And I love that we have people in our church that are 70 years old, 80 years old. I, don't, I think we've got one fellow who's 90, but he doesn't get to come very much anymore, but in his 90s. But I love that that's part of the team. Can't just be all younger folks. Can't just be all older folks. Can't just be all middle-aged folks. And by the way, I love that we have youth that get to serve in this church. I love that our youth get to come up here and sing. We don't think that they're the future of the church. We think that they're the church right now. We believe that. God is pulling together a team, a full team effort to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? Time is getting short. It's getting late. We've got to reach them while we can. We need everybody on board to make that happen. Number six, the preaching of Pentecost. The preaching of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 and verse 21 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have a diverse family. We have a diverse team. But we have one message. And only one message. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't believe in, the, in this idea, this syncretistic idea that Hinduism will get you to heaven and Buddhism will get you to heaven. And they're all really... Going up the mountain to the same place. It's just different roads to get to the same place. I don't believe that. People say, well, you know, all the religions basically agree. If you just study them, they basically agree. No, if you just study them, they basically don't agree. They disagree on who God is. They disagree on how salvation happens. They disagree on how, how we are saved, uh, how men can act to get to God or God get to us. We did all the essential things. If you study the different religions, which, by the way, we're going to do it in the fall on Wednesday nights if you're interested. We're going to study world religions and cults and we're going to see the differences. They're not the same. On the essentials, we are very different. And when you study them, Christianity leaps out at you because everything is different in Christianity or, or the really important things are different in Christianity. We believe that we must help people to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't believe that God truly blesses anything else. I don't even know why you have a church if you have a church and you believe that all these roads lead to heaven and everything's good and you don't really have to have Jesus Christ for salvation. That's not a church. It might be a religious club, but a church is one that proclaims salvation through Jesus Christ, the only name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's a church. You have a religious club that says something else, but a true church preaches that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I don't believe God truly blesses anything else. Number seven, the power of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, meeting in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Here's the key. 
And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Imagine a church where people don't just get saved on Sunday morning. They don't just get saved on Wednesday night. Sunday somebody's getting saved. Monday some more folks are getting saved. Tuesday even more folks are getting saved. Wednesday a whole bunch get saved. Thursday some more. Friday some more. Saturday some more. Every day people are being saved. You know what that means by the way? It means it could not have been the ministers doing all the work. The people were sharing their faith personally. The people were on mission. They weren't just saying, come to church and hear what my pastor is going to say this Sunday morning. They were going out and they were sharing what they had seen and what they had heard and what Jesus was doing for them. Every day, people were being added to their fellowship. God had created a new community, a community that did life together. And this was a community that's very obvious. They love people more than they love possessions. You need something I have? Okay, here it is. It's yours. And people say, oh, well, this was communism. This was an early form of communism. No, it wasn't. There was no government forcing them to do it. Out of their own volition, out of their own will, out of their own heart for God and the grace of God and sharing their life, they were loving other people. And they were holding all things in common, not by government force, but because the Holy Spirit lived within them and they loved each other that much. What if the church was like that today? What if we had a community of believers that was like that today? Possessions are nothing to us. People are everything to us. Because, by the way, I don't know if you realize this, you cannot take your possessions with you. They're going to stay on this earth, and if I read the Bible right, this earth is going to be burned up, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But you can't take people with you. My wife says oftentimes it's one of the things she loves to quote, the only thing I can take in our household with me to heaven is our children. I'm going to love them and I'm going to talk to them about Jesus and we're going to get them to know Jesus and then they get to go into eternity with me. And everything we have, houses, cars, lands, bank accounts, it's all going to be left behind. But people can come with you. And the early church realized that. Possessions were not as important as people. Love the early church. Love studying what went on there. So guys, that's Pentecost. In seven points, that's Pentecost. That's what happened on that day. And like I said earlier, we don't believe that Pentecost was just for back then. We believe that Pentecost is for now as well. We believe that you can personally experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You can personally experience what this bracelet says, being a Spirit-filled believer. I'll never forget, 19 years old is when it happened to me. I had been serving God. I've been walking. I believed in Jesus when I was 8 years old. I was baptized. I was walking with Him. For 11 years I'd walked with him and I had a pretty powerless existence as a Christian. Talk to people who went to high school with me. I was scared. I was quiet. I wasn't sharing my faith with very many people at all. If anybody at all. I was just quiet. I was timid. I didn't change anybody. But at 19 years old, as I wrestled with a call into the ministry, and as I surrendered my life to God, I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that I will never forget. If I live to be a million years old, I'll never forget what it felt like when the Holy Spirit came on me. And all of a sudden, I came back here in the middle school Sunday school class that I had just started teaching that had about 10 kids in it at best, 5 to 10 kids. All of a sudden, it grew to 20, and then it grew to 30, and we didn't even have room for them in the room where I was teaching. What had changed? I was always a Christian, but the Holy Spirit had filled my life. I was a Spirit-filled believer. He was working through me in a new way. I would write articles for the newspaper. People would write in and talk to me and just say, oh, it's... And I almost felt like God was writing through me at that point in time. All that happened was I became filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a new power. It was a new presence. It was a new purity. It was amazing. And I believe that can happen for you as well. These seven principles of Pentecost, I believe God wants that to happen in your life. And so the, the worship team's going to sing... One of my favorite new songs. I absolutely love this song that they're about to sing about the goodness of God. And I want you to sing that and I want you to worship that and that's wonderful. But I also want you to know, if you want more power, if you want more purity, if you want more of the presence of God in your life, it's available. Come and seek Him. Come and pray. I'm going to ask the congregation, as I always do, again, we're working on, on having an altar team for but... Don't leave anybody praying by themselves. Come and pray with them. 
pray over me. Gentlemen with gentlemen, ladies with ladies, would be our preference here this morning. But if, if you want more power, if you want more God's presence in your life, come and seek Him. He's a good Father. He's not going to turn you away. He's not going to kick you out. If you and if you're truly seeking Him with your whole heart, He's going to fill you. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. It'll change your life. Keith Green, the great Christian singer, said that when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was like being born again, again. It's an amazing experience. Not just an experience, but a life-changing indwelling of God. So I want to ask you to stand this morning. And as our worship team sings, if you want more power in your life, if you want more of His presence, come and pray and let God do His work.
up somewhere back in there again because I'll be honest with you. I refuse to believe that these are the only people in this church that need more of God. I need more of you. I believe there's more of you who need more of his presence and more of his power. And I know the fried chicken is waiting somewhere or whatever for life. I get it. It's, you know, springtime, summertime, we're going to get out of here, that, that sort of thing. These are the only people in the church that need more of God. I need more of his presence every day. I need more of his power every day. So we're going to sing again. And I'm going to give you a chance to come and seek his presence. Seek his presence. In this broken world, we need more of him than we've ever had before. We need more of his power, more of his presence. We need more of his purity. So I'm going to give you another chance. Come and seek that presence today. Come and seek a personal Pentecost. Come and seek the power of God.
motive this morning if, as we pray this final prayer. Get it to just raise both hands. Those who are around the altar, those who are in the pews, if you could just raise both hands and say, God, I surrender. I give you everything. I need to do that. I have to do it continuously. Not just one time. I have to do it all the time. God, I give you my life again. Give you new areas of my life. So as we pray this final prayer, I just ask if you need to do that, if you feel led to do that this morning, raise both your hands and just say, God, King, Lord, I give you my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a surrendered people. God, it is so hard to bow down. We have that human pride that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And we don't like to bow down and say, somebody else needs to be on the throne of our lives. But God, we need you on the throne of our life. Help us to remove ourselves. And help us to place you on the throne. God, I thank you for those who stepped forward and said, I need more of God. I need more of God to get through this world. I need more of God to be a witness. I need more of God to stay out of sin. And God, I know that you're good, and so I know that you'll fill us. And I know that you'll use us, God. And so we just thank you that you're doing that this morning. God, when we leave this place, I pray that we would be like the early church, that every day we would be a witness for you. Spirit does to us. And God, we do pray for revival. We pray for a Holy Spirit touching down that just sweeps all the junk out of our lives and out of our churches, our schools, our businesses, God, that it would just change everything. And so we're here and we're waiting and we're surrendering to you. We love you and praise you. So in Jesus' name, we pray all these things. And we all sit together. Amen.